Welcome to another episode of the Blessed for Success podcast. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa. If you enjoy this episode, please head on over to iTunes, leave me a review, subscribe to the show. Uh, I love hearing your feedback and uh, it really helps me grow this show as much as possible. My next guest started thecollegeinvestor.com in 2009 while he was still in grad school to share his common sense student loan and investing strategies with other millennials. The College Investor is currently read by over 3.5 million people on a monthly basis, and he also hosts a popular podcast called The College Investor Radio Show. With a focus on escaping student loan debt and learning how to build wealth, it is one of the largest websites that focuses on personal finance topics for millennials. This episode is full of advice on how to manage your money during a crisis, escaping crippling debt, and building sustainable wealth for the future. Introducing Robert Farrington. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. You're listening to the Blessed for Success podcast. Robert Farrington, thank you so much for coming on to the Blessed for Success podcast. This is going to be an awesome episode today. Uh, really excited to, to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Amazing. Um, at this moment in time, you know, on this particular day, in the middle of everything that's going on, uh, what are the things that you feel most blessed for? Well, you know, my family is healthy. We're home together. Uh, we get to spend a lot of time together, so uh, I'm blessed by that, even though it does get on your nerves every now and then. Um, but yeah, I'm just so thankful. And I'm also thankful I have a flexible business that allows me to work from home and provide for my family as well. Awesome. And you know, how are you, how are you spending your days right now? I mean, stay, working from home, uh, what's your daily routine schedule look like? Yeah. So, I mean, we get up, uh, get the kids fed and online homeschooling starts. Um, and so oh. like my son has like a zoom call every morning with his class and, uh, yeah, usually while he's on the call, I'll sit next to him and, uh, start knocking out emails and different things. And so it's, it's really just striking that balance of, you know, family helping them do their schoolwork and then coming out, you know, hopping on the computer, working, getting stuff done. Um, I'll say it's just different. Like, you know, the work's still there. Uh, family's still there, but you just find a way to fit it all in and integrate it all. You find a way to make it work. That's what we're all doing is we're just trying to find a way to make it work. And, um, you know, you obviously run the, the collegeinvestor.com, which is amazing. You guys get like 3.5 million hits a month, a very popular uh, website. I want to know more about that story. Tell me more about how you got that started um, and how you've you know been able to achieve the success you have with it. It's crazy. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it started just as a passion project side hustle. Uh, I, it was kind of like the intersection of everything that I enjoyed um, doing, right? So I'd been side hustling and earning more money since I was a teenager. Uh, I loved the idea of investing and I'd started investing as early as I possibly could. And I love technology. I actually went to college to be a computer science major, um, learned I hated programming, but I actually still love technology and, and things like that. So, you know, creating a website was kind of like the intersection of all these different things. Uh, and I really just wanted to share my thoughts and, and do something that was fun. And yeah, I thought it could make money, but like, it was really just to try to put it all together and see what happens. And, and I enjoyed doing it. Mm -hmm. And and not going to lie, Robert, I mean, looking at your profile, obviously very impressive. Looking at your accomplishments, very impressive. The college investor, investor, super impressive. 
but uh, in doing some digging, uh, you're definitely a unique personality in the sense that at the age of 13, you wanted to do your own taxes. I, yep. at the age of 24, don't get want to get anywhere near my taxes. So, um, I mean, I don't know how you found that attractive. Where did that come from? I mean, come on. Uh, you know what? Okay, maybe it's not your taxes you don't like, but tell me that you don't like looking at the money you earned and being like, dang, I earned that money. That's actually right? true. And that, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's, that's all true. the taxes are, right? Like you're mm-hmm. literally just looking at accounting for your whole year. Like I earned this much and then, you know, I spent this much and I got these kind of deductions and credits and like, here's my net. Mm-hmm. And so I actually really enjoy just like, like, you know, honestly, uh, you know, earning money is kind of like my hobby. I really enjoyed it. I like side hustling. I like reselling stuff. I like investing. You kind of see that common trend. And so kind of taxes along the same lines. It's like, I like seeing the end result of what I earned. But you know, I, I grew up, I watched my dad do it. And that's kind of the story I think you were alluding to. I've talked about it before is uh, my dad, you know, was doing his taxes. My dad also had like t- kept meticulous track of all of his finances. And I just remember as a young kid, I'd always like be in his office, like on the ground. And he had like this giant desktop computer, you know, like big old screen and everything. And I'd just be like, you know, hanging out in his office and watching him do these things on the floor, like around him while he was working. And I just always had a, a passion and an interest in it. That's incredible. I learned a lot from my dad as well. And um, it's funny because you mentioned that about you really get to see how much you earn. So um, I work at a sales job. I work at Salesforce, uh, Fortune 500. And uh, when I entered the job, my dad wasn't sure if I should take it because of the income potential. Um, essentially, the base in sales jobs is typically lower and you know commission make up a lot of the, the added bonuses that you get. So I told my dad, look, this is how much money I think I'm going to make. And he didn't think I was going to come anywhere close to it. So as soon as I got my T4 and I saw the number, I sent it to my dad and I was like, boom, roasted. Um, you know, like kind of like take that. And he was like, okay, okay, you got me on this one. So yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a nice opportunity to, to look back and reflect and also, you know, think about the effort that you put in to get there and, 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 and all that. So that's great. Um, now let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, um, which is, you know, most of my audience, again, are young professionals, millennials. Robert, right now, you know, forget just millennials. Everybody, frankly, uh, is confused. They're not sure what to do with their money. Should they save? Should they invest? Should they wait for real estate to go down? So, so many things, um, you know, in the middle of a, of a pandemic, a crisis uh, like the world hasn't, you know, seen in a long time. What should people do? What do people do? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a good time to reassess, right? Like we're having to reassess so much of our social norms in general. So like you need to include your money in that and your budget. And maybe you're not a budgeting person. Maybe you're like a spending tracker or whatever your style is. Like you need to like become one and intimate with your money and understand how it's working for you and what you need to do. I think the big problem that we see in America and it's kind of highlighted with this pandemic is Um, we live in too much of a payment culture. Like I earn $5,000 a month. And so like everyone has this mental mindset that I can spend up to that amount. Mm. And you might see on my website, one of the things I talk about is real wealth. And when I say real wealth, I mean, you have a net worth. Just because you earn money doesn't mean you have money. Right. And we have this weird thing where it's like, we just spend up to what we earn and we never actually save anything. And then when a crisis like this hits, uh, I always like to use the Warren Buffett quote, like we're going to find out who's swimming naked, right? When the tide goes out, 
we find out who's swimming naked. And the tide's going out and you're going to learn very fast if you had any money saved, you didn't have any money saved. And all those payments just become real problems if you don't have the income to support them. Mm-hmm. So now's the time to reassess everything that's going out in your budget. Do you need it? Do you need this payment? Like, do you need whatever you're spending the money on? And I think for so many people, there's a good chunk of it that you don't need. And with that also being said is there's two sides to the equation, right? So there's the, how much you spend, but you can also look at how much you earn. Yeah. And, you know, can you change that? Can you improve that? Can you go on side hustle? Can you go earn more? Can you maybe liquidate some of the stuff you don't need? Can you sell it and put some more money in your budget? I did it. I love, I, I always get rid of my junk. I just sold something on eBay yesterday. Like, <laughs> nice. I love getting, I love getting rid of crap I don't need around What'd here. you sell if you and, don't mind me asking? Well, it was actually for my wife. It was a Dyson like hair thing, man. It was sold for like $300. Wow. And she's like, I've used it like five times. And I was like, let's get rid of this thing, man. And we sold it. So anyways, the, 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 the truth is, is now's a good time to really dive in, look at your money and decide if that is going to work for you or not. Because, um, you know, I really foresee much more trying times. Like, Sadly, we're in this, uh, we're in a world where we always look at everything on instantly. What's today's results? What's this week's results? But the fact is, is that everyone that's losing their jobs and struggling right now, the ripple effect of that's not going to hit us until late summer, early fall, even into next year. And so you might be like, oh, everything's fine. It's kind of like the whole thing of this, like the, the pandemic, right? Like in early March, everything's fine. And then it's like, oh my God, the numbers are big. But it's like, you know, all the professionals told you the numbers were going to get big. But the problem is, is because they weren't today and you didn't want to think about a month from now, we end up with a problem. And it's the same thing. People that lost their job today, they don't get evicted out of their apartment tomorrow. They get evicted out of their apartment in 30 to 60 days if they can't pay their rent. People that can't pay their mortgage takes almost a year to foreclose a lot of places. You know, you got to be late for like six months in your pills and then go to court and everything else. Like the ripple effect of these things is a long time. And even those numbers aren't long in the big scheme of things, but you know, we've become so instantaneous. You got to decide and plan for the future. And the future I'm talking about is like six months away. I'm not even talking about retirement here. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's actually crazy. What's and to uh, to be completely honest with you, Robert, like I've been looking at the Dow Jones every single day and just wondering what the heck is going on. You know, what on earth is happening? Um, there's this pandemic. Unemployment is at an all time high. We don't have a vaccine. Small businesses are shutting down, and yet the market is going up and up every day. Um, and I have a group chat with my cousins, and I'm telling them, guys, like I cannot make sense of what's going on. I don't know if anyone can. Can, can you make sense of what's happening uh, right now? Like, why is it even though the economy is in kind of crisis mode that the stock market is performing still relatively well? So the stock market's not the economy, part one. Part two is the best thing you can think about the stock market, the stock market is backwards looking, forward looking, and present looking all in, in one thing. And so you, there's this argument out there that the stock market has done right by certain things like cruise lines, airline stocks, all these things are getting hammered. Um, but you know, the stock market is also looking at the present and as of today, there's no problem, right? Like, yeah, there are 26 million people who have lost their jobs, but that doesn't mean they didn't buy groceries today. And so that's what I mean when it's present looking, right? And so we're not going to see the real impact for six months, 12 months from now. I honestly think we're going to see big changes come end of summer, early fall. Um, you know, that gives it enough time for people to work through it because 
it's not quick. Right. And look at what happens to Main Street. The problem is too, is this, this crisis is different than most in recent memory. So um, every crisis that we probably remember as young adults are financial crises, right? So we remember the 2007-2008 crisis. You might even remember the dot-com boom or at least, you know, seen it. Then you go back into the 90s and the 80s with the savings and loan crisis. So all of those started in the financial sector. And then they rippled out onto Main Street and it impacted, you know, just random individuals, right? This crisis is different in that it started in the rest of the world. And now it's impacting the financial sector. But the problem is, is it hasn't really impacted the financial sector yet because those people aren't defaulting on their credit card bills yet. They're not stopping their car note payments. And maybe they are like just this month stopping their car payments, but they haven't like had their car repossessed yet or, you know, these things. So it's just starting to, and we don't even know who's going to be impacted yet. Like, who's not paying their mortgages, who's not paying their car notes, who's not paying their credit cards, but what companies are left holding the bag? And just like the financial crisis, who's insuring those? And then we're going to see commercial real estate, residential real estate, same thing is who's holding the bag of the finances of those mortgages or those financing instruments that are going to be hit with the defaults. We don't even know yet. And so this is where it's like the crisis is starting in the real world. And it's going to migrate to the financial sector. And that's when we're going to see a real hit in the uh, stock market. Right. We just don't know who's holding the bag yet. Right. It's, it's very interesting, Robert, because, you know, I think a lot of investing or maybe 99% of investing is all in the mind, right? It's, it's the psychology of human behavior. And I get caught up in it all the time, all the time. Um, it happens where, you know, you're, you're viciously looking at the Dow Jones every day, trying to understand where we're at, what's going on. Um, how's this affect, affecting my mentality? Um, is it is now time to buy? Is now you know? There's so many questions that we constantly ask ourselves, um, and I'm sure for you to become a seasoned investor, it took some mental conditioning um, to a degree. How how can someone build the mental fortitude to deal with the ups and downs of the market, the volatility, the uncertainty, all of that? You know, what are some tips that you might have? Yeah, stop caring. <laughs> Because here's the, here's the truth is that you and me and every individual out there has no control over it. Part one, part two is for most of us that are under 40, right? The number one factor of your wealth has nothing to do with how much the stock market returns. It can go up, go down, whatever. It's all about how much you save and put into the account because you know, you maybe saved $10,000 in your 401k this year. Mm. That's cool. If the stock market goes up 100%, now you have $20,000. Don't get me wrong. It's a cool story. But that $20,000 isn't anything you can retire off of. It's not going to make you break your whole life. It's not going to even help you in any kind of way. Right. right? So it's really a question of until you're in your 40s and 50s, how much you can put away. You just have to put it in the, you know, in the stock market. You just have mm -hmm. to get it in there any way you can, as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And when you realize that, like, Yes, it's fun stories. Yes, it's cool to see a stock or the you know stock market. Oh my God, my portfolio went up 30%. And it's like, okay, it went up 30%. Well, how much did you actually have? Well, I had 100,000 and now it's worth 130,000. Amazing. But you're not any different in your day-to-day -day life because of it. <laughs> That's I, not going to help you. Yeah, that is, I don't care. At the end of that, 
don't care. And, and, and I, I love that uh, thought process, trying to incorporate that in my life as well to a degree. Yeah, it's just control what you can control and ignore the rest of the stuff. So what you can control is how much you put into the investments. Yeah. But you can't control what it does. Now, don't be stupid. Don't go day trading. Don't do silly financial instruments. Like just let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an interesting study by Fidelity about a year ago. And they looked at all their accounts under management. And you know who performed the best of everybody? To tell. Uh, can I take a guess? Yeah, go for it. Was it individuals investing in index funds? It, well, here's the, the kicker. Yes, it was always index funds, but it was accounts where the actual account owner died. Oh, my God. Because they weren't touching the money. It just let it go. And those accounts performed the best over time. Because it's like when no one touches it and it just goes... It does what it's supposed to do. Everyone that messes with their money doesn't let it get the true return on their money. And that's what happens over time. So just don't touch it. Just keep putting away. That's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> I, I love that. That's, uh, that's definitely something I didn't guess, but uh, good to know. Um, so, you know, I think you touched on it, obviously, like don't um, just put it in and, and don't touch it. Is that, would you say that's the essence of your investing methodology? Like your, how you view building wealth um, and kind of accumulating assets over time? Yeah, you know, it is. So I definitely didn't always do this, right? I started in college, I was picking some stocks. I always say the fallacy of uh, kind of my investing career was that I had some really early wins. And it's probably the worst thing that happened to me, right? Mm-hmm. So like when I'm like 18 years old and I'm picking these stocks and you're getting like, you know, 4X returns on these individual stocks and you think you're the shit. And like, <laughs> sorry, I, you just think you're amazing, right? Like, it's like, oh my God, I just turned $200 into $800. Boom, on one stock pick. And you think you're amazing when you're 18 years old. You're but, like, I could be a hedge fund manager. I could do this. Right? But then you realize that like, it's like Vegas, right? Like, you know, just because you win a few blackjack hands, doesn't mean you're going to keep winning all your blackjack hands Yeah. and you know, things turn and the house does have the odds at the end. And so what I like to tell a lot of individual investors is like, just look at Wall Street, right? You have the world's biggest, richest companies that pretty much have unlimited resources, unlimited assets, supercomputers, probably inside information. And over like a 10 year run, only like one to 3% of them actually beat the stock market. Yeah. So, so you're telling me that with limitless time, energy, resources, knowledge, money, one to 3% of the time I beat the index. Yeah. I'd rather just spend no time and pick the index and, and get the return that, you know, everyone's trying to get. Right. Let the index do the work. Exactly. And I'd rather spend my time and effort figuring out how to earn more and save more mm-hmm. so that the index and the investments can just do the work. Mm-hmm. What, how, I mean, you touched on it, side hustles and, and selling things. Um, you know, what are some ways additionally, or, you know, building on what you currently already said um, about, you know, putting together more money to, to save and, and, and invest and, and uh, right. build so- wealth? That's the key is how do you earn more money? And there's so many ways. And that's like, we live in the golden age of earning money. And so it's, it's really kind of sad, like the state of the country we're in where like people feel like they can't earn, but like on the flip side, there's limitless ways to earn. Hmm. And so I always just like to share my story. Like I had $43,000 in student loan debt when I graduated college, but I paid it off in three and a half years. And I did it because I had a day job 
And then outside of my day job, I was flipping things on eBay. And I was doing that to the tune of about $2,000 a month. And first off, I started selling all my old stuff. I'm talking like Super Nintendos and with all the video games. And then I went into other random stuff I found, baseball cards and, you know, Pokemon cards and all kinds of stuff, man. Cleared out everything I could. Then I went to my parents' houses and I cleared out all their attic. And I just said, you know, like, I'll tell you two things. We can sell it now or I'm going to sell it when you're dead. But no mm. one wants this old record player. So like, <laughs> let's get rid of this thing, man, and make some money. And then... I started going to garage sales and estate sales in my neighborhood and buying things to resell. And I did that for years while I was working and I had this blog going, but it, like I said, it was just a passion project, a hobby. Mm -hmm. And that's how I paid off my debt by working and supplementing my income. And I didn't stop just when the debts were paid off. I eliminated all my debt, car loans, mortgage, everything, bought a house, paid off that, you know, and then just continued and saving it, saving it, saving it. And you keep doing that. And it's totally possible to achieve your financial goals, whatever those are. Um, but it all is on that income side of the equation. You know, people, you know, aren't becoming, you know, financially independent, however you define that, by not growing their income. They are, maybe they're taking until 65, right? Yeah. But it's much harder. Yeah, there's so many clickbaity headlines about there nowadays about passive income. And I always find that super interesting because what... Uh, what you realize is that passive income involves a lot of active work, um, whether that, you know, it's a lot of work for you to go and take, take those, uh, you know, items from different garage sales, put them up on eBay, and then, and then you're putting into the, into the market, which is, you know, passively generating income for you. But there's always work on the back end that you need to put in, and you obviously did. Totally, and that's where, I mean, selling stuff on eBay is not passive income. That is a second income. And mm -hmm. I, I'll tell you, people have been earning income on the side since the beginning of time, you know, but it was like, you used to just go get a second job if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. The problem was like, people would shame you. Cause I would also tell you, there's a lot of psychology in this idea of side hustling. Like right now we could go drive and deliver food anywhere in this country. It's so in demand, right? Yeah. But there's two parts of it. It's not sexy. It's not going to earn you a ton of money, but it's going to earn you something. And depending on your financial situation, that something could make a big difference. But then how is your family going to judge you? How are your friends going to judge you? I think that's the bigger holdup for most people. Like, why don't you just go drive for Postmates, DoorDash, Uber Eats? Well, it's only going to earn me $100. Well, could you use $100? Part one. Yeah. <laughs> and part two is... Well, is the $100 worth being ostracized by your parents or being ostracized by your friend group, right? And so it's hard, because people, but people are going to judge you at every step of your life. Yeah. You know, they judged you in high school. They judged you on where you went to college. They judge you after college, you know? And then the thing is, is by the time you're 30, 35, you've paid off your debt, you're starting to achieve these financial goals suddenly everyone forgets that you were out there driving for Uber or Lyft. Like no one remembers the work you did to get there. They're just like, man, they're judging you again. But like, you know, how does so-and-so afford that house? You know, yeah. they don't realize that you've been putting in this work all along. You're, you're so right. Uh, every time that you try to separate yourself from the pack, and I've seen this throughout my life, even when starting this podcast, um, you know, every time that you try to separate, separate yourself from the pack a little bit, the pack always tries to pull you back in. Um, right. and you know, one of my favorite quotes is, um, people, two of my favorite quotes, 
one of them being people tell you what they can't do, what you can't do because they can't do it themselves. And then the other quote is from The Pursuit of Happiness, which is, uh, you know, don't ever let somebody tell you what you can't do. Uh, right. And I try to go by that philosophy. Yeah, I'm with you. One of my favorite ones, it's a similar line, is you, you're the, you know, you are the closest five people you surround yourself with, right? And, uh, you know, I never learned that, though, until like my later in my 20s. And uh, it was more of like when I started surrounding myself with people that had a different wealth mindset and business mindset and like an idea around earnings where I suddenly started seeing my whole self propel, Um, you know, but it's hard because people don't understand and they don't, you know, people, you grew up with this, your family might've had this kind of tradition and your friends and like, it can be very challenging. The psychology is probably the bigger hurdle because the math is the math and we're not talking calculus here. It's just, you know, income minus expenses. Like, (laughs) it's just, but it's the psychology, man. It's all on the psychology. Yeah. I it's funny because I see it as kind of like a stock chart is like you're, you're up. And then when you choose to choose to take the big leap or the big risk or whatever it might be that add that side hustle takes some more of your time, there's a dip. Right. And then you putting that investment in pays off in the long, long run, all of a sudden you're, you're, um, you're racing and you're so much higher and people forget the downs, right? They forget what happened prior. That's how, that's how I look at it. So uh, nice to know we share that opinion. Um, exactly. Now, one thing that I want to discuss, and I know you're obviously a big proponent of or discuss a lot, is student loans and student debt, um, which I think another number of people, number of my listeners, listeners are still facing. Um, two things. So, one, what are your recommended strategies uh, for paying student loans back? And then, number two, if someone has the opportunity to invest right with their money but they still have student loan debt. Should they focus on paying off the debt as quickly as possible or can they do both or invest? You know, what are, what are your recommendations there? hundred percent. So one, yes, I'm a big believer in the financial balance of investing and paying down your debt at the same time. And here's why is investing is not just how much you can put away in those accounts, but it's also how much time you give yourself. Right. And so if you can start investing in your twenties, even if it's a tiny, tiny amount, that amount has so much more time to grow and it will grow so much more for you than if you wait. Mm -hmm. So there's this good rule of thumb that if you start investing at 25 and you had a goal to be a millionaire at 65, right? At 25, all it takes is $200 a month. You put away $200 a month and and that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. For some people, that's a lot of money. But if you put away $200 a month starting at 25, when you're 65, letting it grow in the market, you'll be a millionaire right? Mm -hmm. But if you wait until you're 35, you're up to $800 a month to get the same goal. And that's how much of a decade a difference makes. So even if you can only put in like $35, $50 a month or anything as early as possible, do it. Because all it does is help you later on down the road, Mm -hmm. right? With that being said, though, there's a lot of options with your student loans. Um, first off, let's kind of bucket pandemic student loan crisis and like in general, right? So right now in the pandemic, you have a really cool opportunity. This has never happened in the history of the United States before, but it is a pause button on your federal loans. No payments are due until September, uh, so after September 30th, and interest is actually frozen on your federal loans. So what this means is like you, it literally pushed the pause button. You get to take your student loan payment for the next five months. And you can do something else with it, which is amazing. And it opens up a lot of opportunity. 
that could be to invest, but I think most people need to eliminate other debt or pay off their or build up their emergency funds first. Because we are only at the tip of the iceberg of this financial crisis and you need to be prepared. You know, the student loans give you a pause button, but does your car note, does your credit cards, other things? Probably not. So take your student loan payment, apply it elsewhere. Mm. But and, it, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say for, you mentioned the pandemic specific, um, and I was thinking on the investing side, uh, I know you mentioned earlier, just kind of investing consistently and letting it go. Now, a time where you're foreseeing that the market is, you know, we're at the tip of the iceberg, like you said, um, mm-hmm. would you say it's a good time just to hold, or do you think, no, timing the market is the worst thing to do. Just put in money consistently. And then if there's a dip, maybe put in more money. hundred percent. Just, just invest every single month. Just, just set in a 401k and just let it go. Like that's the best way to do it. There was a really interesting article um, by of dollars and data. And this guy's a blogger, but he's like, a, he's a financial analyst. He's a very analytical guy. And he literally went back to like the 1920s and like every single dip, financial crisis, everything. And he had this hypothesis, like if God could time the market on every single point of the best time to buy, biggest dip, buy, sell it at the very peak. And if God could do it, would dollar cost averaging win or would God win? And <laughs> dollar cost averaging wins every single time. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> right? Yeah. So just invest, just put the money away. And so that's it. But um, going back to the student loans though, in general, the best course of action for your student loans is number one, get organized. I can't tell you how many people that I deal with that have student loan debt just aren't organized with their loans. They don't know how many loans they have. They don't know how much they pay on their loans. You know, like they don't know their repayment options. Like you've got to get organized with your student loans and your money in general, because I can't tell you what the best option is if we don't even know where you're at. Um, So that's part one. And then just get on a repayment plan you can afford. There's a lot of them. I get it. But if you can't afford to pay your monthly payment, look at the income-driven repayment plan options. These are repayment plans that base your monthly payment as a percentage of your income, usually 10% of your income. Mm. And that's solid. That can help you make payments without going into default because the worst thing you can do is not pay your student loans. Like that just opens up a whole world of trouble for you financially. So Stay paying those income driven repayment plans and then reassess every year. Because I think the other thing that a lot of people get stuck in is that they think they're going to be stuck with these student loans for 25 years. They might be. But like when you look back at your life, like every like five year period of time is so different in your life. Like you rewind the clock five years ago from now and you're like, I was only earning that amount and I had that job. Like we just live our lives in stages. And if you're dealing with your student loans in this current stage of life, like just get through, pay what you can afford, you know, make the best you can and then reassess as you maybe get a new job or increase your income or move or start a family or whatever it happens to be. And there might be different options that open up for you to make better choices with your loans. Right. And, you know, more on the organization side, what, how can someone organize their finances as a whole? You know, are they budgeting? Are they creating a monthly budget and adhering to it to plan their financial future? Um, what's, what's a good way to go about that? Yeah. I mean, everyone's so different. So I'm a technology guy. I like to use apps to track my stuff. 
but not everyone's me, right? So there's a lot of personal finance apps out there like Mint or Personal Capital, and they're free. And you can put all your accounts in there and track your spending and set a budget up. But if you're not like an app person, you know, there's Excel spreadsheets that are available. There are, you can buy a planner and do it with pen and paper. Like, I don't care. You just have to figure out what your personality is and what your style is and then get a system down that works for you. So mm -hmm. choose the one that you're actually going to use. If you're a pen and paper kind of person, then get a planner for your budget, write it all out on pen and paper and do that approach. That's fine. But you just got to find something that works for you. Yeah. And going back to something you, you said earlier, like, I think one of the biggest things that I did, especially when this whole thing started was just like quickly look through all my expenses. Okay. Well, first of all, automatically expenses went down drastically for me because, well, I came home less spending on food. So that's perfect at home cooked meals. Um, but you know, anyone listening to this podcast and highly encourage that when you're planning, um, you know, organizing your finances during a time like this, which you definitely should do, right. As you mentioned, reassess, um, is to go through your expenses, go through your credit card bill and see what expenses are recurring that you don't need to pay for. Um, I saw a few, like, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So then cut those subscriptions. Look at your transportation right now too. Like, you know, do you need it? Get rid of it. Can you get rid of it? Can you downsize to one vehicle? Maybe, you know, I would tell you a lot of big companies are probably going to look at working from home for a long time. So it's like, do you even need a second car? Right? Yeah. Like things like that. Like, really go through everything, challenge it, look at your insurance. Like if you're home more, do you, can you cut back on your car insurance? Um, I know a lot of companies are giving refunds on their car insurance premiums, but like, it's because they don't want you to actually change your policy. Like go change <laughs> your policy. So you get beyond the refunds you're getting, like you have it fixed going forward. Like, you know, everything that you can look at because uh, you know, but the problem is too, is there's only a base of what you can cut. Like you can trim the fat, but at some point in time, you still got to live. You still got to eat. You know, I'm not going to take people's internet away, but like you still got to have these basic necessities of life. Um, and so that's where it's like, if you're still coming up short, even after cutting everything you can, then you got to look at that income side. You've got to look at side hustles. You got to look at supplementing your income. You got to look at eliminating stuff too. Uh, especially if, you know, you have a lot of just junk around the house, like clothes, you know, electronics games, toys, whatever, right? Like, yeah. um, get out of that, get out of the payment mentality. That is the dumb, number one thing that will keep you poor forever. Like just because you have some spare income, don't buy it. If you want to go have fun, rent it. Like a great example of this is like, you know, uh, people buy like toy haulers, ATVs, things like that. The money never pans out. You go out, like maybe you go out every single month for the year because you're not going every day you're going out for like two days once a month right you could rent all that same equipment all the time and you'll come out cheaper than owning it so just you know i'm not telling you take away your luxuries i'm just telling you to like do the luxuries you want but be smarter about your money with it yeah there's a lot of things out there like that that you spend money on uh one time yet man i still feel bad for buying my prom suit should have just rented that thing. Um, exactly. Just, uh, just so many things like that where you could have just rented or, or just used from someone borrowed instead of having to, to buy. Um, and it's funny, like on the transportation note, you would, I mean, I should go and check, but I know it's really high just how much money on Ubers I'm saving month to month right now. It's insane. Okay. And well, but, and I'll tell you, I did the math for me. So I don't know if, uh, 
you know this, but like we're a one car family. So even before this pandemic, we've been a one car family for three years mm-hmm. and I Uber and Lyft everywhere instead of having a second car. And for us, that's so much cheaper. I spend about $200 a month in ride sharing costs, but like compared to car ownership, like that's a great deal, right? Yeah. Like just car insurance car, and gas, gas and insurance and registration and maintenance and that whole thing. Like, I'm always coming out ahead and we just have the one car. Now that works for our lifestyle and how we live and it won't work for everybody, but like challenge your assumptions. Like Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily, is there an alternative that you could do to what you have right now? Mm -hmm. I started, so I used to have a really bad habit, me personally, of buying all my food out. I would never make lunches. I would never do anything like that. I would just buy out, um, was okay with spending $10 every meal or whatnot. And that was fine. And then I just realized how much it was soaking up my money. Um, but then luckily this, uh, grocery store opens up close to my work and everybody at my work judges me for this, but they offer 50 percent, 50% off, uh, their meals at the hot bar every day. So what okay. I do is I go and I load up on a bunch of food in like containers and I get, so let's say I get a hundred dollars worth of food. I get it for 50 and then nice. I can spread that over meals over ho- however long, uh, as long as it does well. But you know, that's great, man. Small who hacks cares? Like that. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Exactly. Right. Uh, like, and that's. The, as soon as you stop letting other people like control you, like it's so freeing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Even small things. Uh, there's this guy I follow on YouTube, Graham Stefan, who talks a lot about personal mm-hmm. finance. Um, but even small things, like if you're going out to a restaurant and everybody's ordering a main, you don't have to order, order a main if you don't want to. Just order an appetizer. If you want to save money, order an, order an appetizer. Hell, you don't even have to order food. If you just want to have a drink or whatnot, you can do that too. And do whatever you need to do to get to the goals that you want to get to, right? 100%. Um, exactly. Yeah. Is there anything um, looking at your financial journey um, that looking back you would have done differently or anything that you would have wished you would have could go ahead? I know you've done this for a long time, but anything you wish you could have told your younger self to kind of prep? Yeah, I mean, honestly, luckily I learned a lot of these lessons early on. Uh, you know, my adversity, I'm blessed that it wasn't extremely trying. But, you know, like it's just things like I wish I would have understood this whole payment mentality concept much earlier. Like I did buy the brand new car when I graduated college and I had a $700 a month car payment. Like so stupid. Like I just think of all that money right now that I could have been saving. I wish that when I was at 21 years old, someone would have actually under told me what maxing your 401k meant. Right. So like a lot of times we think of maxing your 401k as taking advantage of your employer's match to the limit. Right. So like you get like your 5% contribution, but you don't realize that you could actually be putting in 18, $19,000 of your own money into your 401k to let that grow tax um, deferred until you retire. And so it's just those little things like no one's going to teach you. Like I've learned no one cares more about your money than you. Mm -hmm. All the answers are out there for free. Financial advisors don't like keep any secrets. Like you can literally Google it. And you've got to educate yourself. Like we don't educate people in school on money topics. A lot of people like don't get the money education that they need at home. And even those that do like, doesn't mean your parents are good at money. (laughs) Right. You know, like, so just get educated because you got to take care of yourself in this world. And I think maybe this pandemic is showing people that they need to do that more and how much they need to take care of themselves a little bit more. And that's kind of what I hope so. Yeah. It's funny because even just doing my research and, and looking into a lot of 
information on the stock market recently or, or just finances in general. Um, everybody seems to be an expert. Everyone seems to know what they're talking about, um, which is the funniest thing to watch. Um, everyone's a health expert now and everyone's a, you know, investment expert and everyone, it's like, ugh, you know what? You, like, yeah. Block out the noise. You, you got to take care of yourself. And you know, the hard part is too, is that there's not a one size fits all. We all live different lives. We have different situations, different scenarios, families, different obligations. Um, but you know, the math is the math at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Income minus expenses equals what's left over. And like you can pull the different dials and knobs throughout there to figure out what works for your situation. That could be cutting, that could be earning. Uh, you know, like you just got to figure it out. Yeah. And just to, on what you were saying earlier, uh, just because I don't want to forget this. So for the Canadians listening, uh, the 401k is equivalent to the RSP. The, I think, is, is Roth IRA tax-free, Robert? Tax, it's after tax in, tax-free out. Yeah, tax-free out. So um, same with the TFSA in Canada. Um, would, would you say that you should max out your Roth IRA before you start investing in your 401k? Uh, it depends. So in the United States, your company gives you so much into your 401k. So I would say never leave your free money on the table, mm -hmm. right? So like you should always contribute up to what your employer matches you on right. because that's free money. Um, a lot of employers here, so, you know, you guys definitely don't have this, but like we have the health savings accounts as well, um, where your employer can contribute to your health, health savings account, another pocket of free money, and you can invest that as well. So bottom line is, is maybe you don't have a lot of money in your budget, but don't leave free money on the table. Right. Then you can make choices about what you can do. Great advice. Don't leave free money on the table. That's, that's one to be noted. <laughs> um, great. So that was a lot of actionable advice. I think uh, a bunch of great takeaways. Um, kind of to, to bring it all together at this point in time and moving forward, what does success mean to you? Yeah, I mean, success for me is really about am I raising my kids well? Uh, you know, am I maintaining a great relationship with my family? And, you know, am I just enjoying life and am I a happy person? Like, that's my goal of success. Like, I, I don't really, it's not a money thing. It's not anything else. It's just, am I happy? Am I doing the best I can? Is my family healthy? I love that. And, you know, like investing is something you enjoy doing. So it makes you happy, right? Yeah. Like you're losing your, you're making it, it makes you happy because it's something that that's fulfilling. Yeah. And I just view it as saving. I don't even view it as investing. It goes into an investment, but it's really about how much I can put away into the account. It'll go up, it'll go down, but how much can I put away there? That's the important part. The psychology of saving. I love that, Robert. Um, where can few people find you? Where can they hear more about you? Learn about, learn more about you. Yeah, so you can go to thecollegeinvestor.com uh, or you can listen to us, the College Investor Audio Show on your favorite podcasting platform. Boom, that was awesome. And you guys got to check out both of those. Um, I've, I've taken a look at both and um, very good information, very insightful. Uh, definitely recommend that those, those will be linked in the show notes. Please do check them out. Robert, thanks again so much for coming on the Bless for Success podcast. Uh, I learned a lot. I had a great time and uh, we'll try not to care as much <laughs> during, the, during the process and uh, be smart with the money. There you go. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Awesome.